0: Yeah, Smith, I'm Jackie Smith, i and Welcome back to the I'm Spoken Today we're going to be interviewing Ms. McClist who is a world literature teacher and also a multimedia teacher here about her trip to Rwanda. So, yes, we are here today. Our first episode of the second semester of this school year, and we're joined by our fellow uh, advisor for this uh, podcast, our multimedia advisor, uh, Ms. McClint about because she went somewhere that I don't know anyone else who went here over break. You know, you hear a lot of times, you hear like 20 different people and they all went to the same place. Um, but this isn't the one I was hearing very often, so Mitch McQuish, tell us about your trip to Rwanda. How did you end up deciding to take this to be? Sure. First of all, thanks
1: for having me up. I'm told to be on this end of things instead of just editing and listening and helping you guys put things together. Yeah, Rwanda, the, the reason we ended up there was because uh, my husband, before COVID hit, um, was trying to get a license so that he could coach soccer at our kids' soccer club. And at that licensee uh, camp or experience, he met this guy named who is an immigrant from, or immigrant, I should say, from Rwanda. And so they kind of quickly became friends, and this was in 2020. And then, like, almost immediately after that, COVID hit. Mm Really? So, our new friend that we had made, he didn't know a lot of people in the United States. um, And so, especially during COVID when everything's kind of shut down, there's not a lot of opportunity to meet people. Um, So, we kind of adopted him into our family, maybe a little bit forcefully, and we're just like, we got you, you're our friend. Um, And so he kind of became a close personal friend Um, that Thanksgiving when everything was kind of shut down. He came to our house, and it was literally just me, my husband, and my two kids, and our new friend, Kadega. And um, he, we had found out that he actually was on the National Rwandan soccer team. Wow. uh, When he was growing up. Since he was like 12 years old, he was being trained, and then he um, had a pretty lengthy career before he had gotten injured, and that's when he decided to put in for the lottery, the immigration lottery, and he won his first time ever trying. So it's kind of difficult to get a visa to come to the United States from Rwanda. Some people put into that lottery for years and years and years and never get chosen. He put it in on the first try and he, he made it. So um, he calls us his American family. Mm-hmm. Um, he had not been back to Rwanda for three years because of COVID and just getting used to living in America. And then he was gonna go back, um, and he invited us to join him and we decided to take him up up, up on the offer and that's how we ended up there.
0: How long was he how long did he stay with you?
1: So he never stayed with us in our home. Uh, uh, he lives in the city of Chicago but just a close friend and always coming to our holidays and different events and things like that, so Um, Yeah, he's kind of like part
0: of the family now. Interesting. Now, you talked about the fact that you obviously went to Rwanda, Mm -hmm. which is a place that not a whole lot of people travel to, right? When you hear, as Jack said, when you hear about vacation spots, common vacation spots, you'll hear a place in the United States. If it's out of country, places like Bora Bora, right? England, France, all these more traditional type vacation Mm -hmm. spots. So one question I have for you, because obviously not a whole lot of people subsequently know about, right? Rwandan culture and what it's like there. Upon arriving, what was... A lot different than what you expected and what kind of shocked you about the environment that obviously most likely was at least a little bit different than the one we have here?
1: So my husband had actually visited West Africa before so he'd been to Guinea, uh, Sierra Leone, places like that when he was um, in his graduate program. Interesting. And so West Africa is, at least at that time, this was like 10 years ago, was a little bit more underdeveloped. So there wasn't like uh, always hot running water in places. No. There wasn't Wi Fi in places. So I was kind of anticipating that same kind of experience. Um, but it, the city of Kigali, which is the capital city in which we flew into and mostly stayed in is much more modern than I expected. So it's just, it's completely like a city. I mean, we don't have like a ton of skyscrapers and stuff like that, but it functions just like a city. We had Wi-Fi at the place that we were staying at. My kids got to watch Netflix while they were there. So it was very, very modern. Um, and of course, the the, the more there are um, condos and homes, and there's definitely some class divides there. Some of the homes, um, like right outside of the city are, are a little bit more modest and humble. Um, But yeah, just expected it to be maybe not as advanced, but it definitely blew my mind in terms of how modern it was, because I just wasn't expecting that. And I think that speaks to a lot of just these stereotypical images that we have about the continent of Africa in general, right? So a lot of people wanted me to come back and kind of share just about how modern um, it is now.
0: And what would you say was a highlight of being exposed to something new? Obviously, many people have something called culture shock. A lot of people go into somewhere, especially if they haven't traveled a lot, like myself, mm-hmm. will go somewhere and be like, okay, this is a lot different, and this is interesting to adapt to. So what would you say is something that, I know you have mentioned a little bit, but that really hit you about the difference between kind of where we live in Illinois mm-hmm. and Rwanda? Mm-hmm.
1: So I would say, like, I was pretty surprised how, like, just comfortable I was there because I a lot of things were just very similar, but one thing that struck me was... Um, how much security there was. So anywhere you go, your car is being searched, your bags are being searched, um, you go through metal detectors, there are police there with rifles, there's a lot of security. Um, And I think that that's probably the result of the genocide that happened in 1994. That's what Rwanda tends to be most known for. Mm Um, Unfortunately, um, and so, and we went to some museums about the genocide and things like that, but it's really, it just struck me how that was, what, 28 years ago? And how there's, besides all the security, you really can't grasp or understand that something like that happened in this place. Sure. Because it is a very, like, it is very urban in terms of, like, city life. There's cars and there's people always walking around on the streets and bikes and things like that, Um, but it's also very lush. So, there's um just a lot of trees and like greenery and things like that um and it's a very clean city. like there's always people out um sleeping and keeping the place filthy. I don't think I saw a piece of garbage on the ground anywhere I went like there's definitely a commitment to keeping the beautification and the greenery and just the environment, very clean and beautiful. So it didn't
0: really give off the vibe of like a third world country? Absolutely
1: not. Absolutely not. And I think that's why it's so important for us to travel to places like that, right? Because um, it wasn't at all what I had anticipated or expected um, in that way. And it was truly wild to be one of the only white people there because it was... There are some white people there, but I think the entire time we were there, we maybe saw ten the entire time. So it was wild to kind of be on the other end of that, being one of the only people of our skin color in a world where we are the ones that stand out. So that was kind of, I thought it was a really good experience for my for my own children Mm -hmm. to kind of go through that. And and yet, I did not feel different at all. Like I I felt very welcomed
0: although you know uh rwanda has you know become more modern than they used to be there's still you know the issue with disease and modern medicine mm-hmm. it seems to be like the main struggle in rwanda so just curious you know obviously we just take covid vaccines flu shots all that here but how many vaccines did you have to take here to be able to travel safely and live in rwanda for the amount of time you we're sure. there for a while sure so um actually
1: so yellow fever is typically a, a shot that you get when you go Um, to different countries in Africa, but actually Rwanda doesn't have a yellow fever issue, so we didn't need that one. Um, We needed updated hepatitis shots. The big thing that we had to do was take malaria medications. So um, there are different medications that you could take. Some are very intense and cause like hallucinations and things like that. So we did our research to make sure, because our kids had to take um, the anti-malaria medications as well. So um, you take the medications a couple of days before, you take them every day while you're there, and then about seven days um, after you come home. Um, just because, and, and actually, there wasn't like a ton of mosquitoes. We noticed them at night, but really there didn't seem to be a ton. Um, but malaria is the big one. Obviously, we've got updated COVID shots and flu vaccines and things like that. Um, but um, they, they recommend like updated rabies shots and, and stuff like that, so mm-hmm. it's a pretty basic. Most of the time, people will get a yellow fever When they go to certain countries in Africa but for whatever reason Rwanda is not doesn't have an issue with with yellow fever.
0: And about bringing your kids on the trip was that something you really had to sort of uh, contemplate or was it kind of a given that you knew that if you were going to go with your husband your whole family would be going to?
1: Um, I'm not gonna lie I think I contemplated it a little bit more than my husband did Mm -hmm. Um, only because so they're seven and almost five Um, And they had never been on a big trip like this. They didn't even have passports, so we had to get them their passports and things like that. Um, Really, it was just, it was not about the place because the place is very safe. A lot of people don't know that Rwanda is actually one of the safest countries in the world. Countries get different safety levels. The lower the number, the safer the country. So Rwanda is a level one. That's as low as you can be. So they are considered extremely safe. Whereas last summer I was in Jamaica for a wedding, and when we were there, Jamaica was a level three. Yeah. So it's just interesting because people have this perception like, oh, Africa isn't safe, right? But Africa is a continent full of vibrant and different countries. But it wasn't about safety to me. It was more like the length of travel because it is um, over 18 hours to get there. So Mm -hmm. we flew to Amsterdam, which was eight hours and then another eight hours to Rwanda. So it was more about the length of the journey rather than where it was we were going. Um, but they did surprisingly well on the flights. They were happy to be watching movies and on their iPads and have all the screen time in the world. Mm-hmm. So they did really, really well, yeah.
0: And what would you say made this trip different than other international trips that you may have taken in the past or may have thought about taking instead, per se?
1: So I was really grateful to go with someone who's from there, because when you go to a country with a local or someone who's from there, I think you get just a different kind of experience, right? There there were some tourists that we ran into at the museums and when we went on safari and things like that, and you could just tell they were getting a different experience that was a little bit more, um, I, gu- I guess, shielded, right? Whereas, like, we were with the people all the time. we were you know, uh, having meals with them, we were hanging out with them. I really felt like I got a true sense of what Rwanda was like, rather than being in sort of a bubble of
0: tourism. Right. And what comes out of that, you know, here in America, you know, we make assumptions on people all the time, and we have the freedom to do that uh, in this country, which is a great privilege that we have. But do you ever think that Americans do make false assumptions about the African society, especially as the country as a whole in terms of Rwanda?
1: Absolutely. And I think what's interesting is that, you know, you have Africa. A lot of people who travel to Africa go to like South Africa, right? They don't go to West Africa or East Africa or North Africa, even. Or you have people who maybe go to Egypt or something like I that. Think,
0: I think South Africa and Egypt, like just off the top of my head, those probably have the most similar culture to, like, what we're used to, like, Mm -hmm. the Western culture. Mm -hmm. And so people are scared to go out of their comfort zone. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I would say, I want to say that this was completely out of my comfort zone. Like, I really, it wasn't because I was scared or anything like that. It just was so different than any kind of trip I'd ever been on. And I didn't, because I didn't know what to expect, right? There wasn't, like, an itinerary that we were going to necessarily follow, right? Like, we were really really, living
0: life with the Rwandans. We were really
1: putting our faith and our trust in The hands of a friend. He really planned the trip for us, and so and he did. He planned everything. He got us a place to stay. He planned um, the the tours for us and all of the different um, you know excursions we went on. Um, And he did a truly remarkable job. And then he also like led us into his circle of friends and family, and it, it was really really incredible in that way. But. Like what you're saying, Max, I think a lot of the assumptions that people have, first of all, there are people out there who think Africa is a country. Which that is you, true. Which we're joking and smiling right now, but that is true, right? Um, but like we said, you have countries like Egypt, Morocco, South Africa, the Congo, right? There's so many different countries in Africa, and not one place is any, there, there's just the such diversity of cultures that you experience, So, um, Rwandan culture. Is so. I, what, what I would say about what I've learned about like Rwandans is like they're quieter people, so I'm a very outgoing person, and so sometimes I felt like I was being a little too much or too loud. Um, but the, the what I loved about it was just like how vibrant everything was. The clothing was vibrant, like bright pinks and oranges and neon colors, and I and literally the day like the day i came back to school i was looking around at my classroom and everyone was wearing like navy blue black white gray. you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. and so like our colors are just more like muted and and so like the colors really struck me as something really cool but i think people have sort of like two stereotypes in africa either you're on safari or it's poor people who need saving right yeah and so that's why again i think when we when we were kind of wrapping up the trip, we had sort of a celebration, or party on the last night with all the people who had welcomed us, and they—that was one of the things they wanted to know—is like, what are you going to go home and tell people about yeah. Rwanda, um, and how is that different than people than the assumptions people have of Rwanda? When I told them that I didn't expect them to have Wi-Fi, like they laughed at me because that's—they're like, of course we have Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. right? But that's not some something mm. that a lot of people would think about because they think they're so like you know, underdeveloped there.
0: Sure. So they have, like, a very vibrant culture. Did you, like, get to, like, embrace a part of, like, Rwanda's history and culture? Did not you know what like, ever exist, would have existed had you not gone?
1: Yeah, so so my husband is a history teacher, so actually he, he knew a lot about the genocide and sort of the politics behind that, so he kind of prepped me on a lot of that stuff. Um, but one of the things that we did that was really interesting, um, a lot of... So a lot of the elite will go to Rwanda. Rwanda is becoming more of a tourist place, and the reason why is because of the gorillas that are in the volcanoes there. An experience to go and be amongst the gorillas is $2,000 a person, wow. so it is very much for the elite. Um, so we did not do that portion, because um, and also you have to be 12 years old, so our kids were not old enough, so we didn't do that. Um, but one of the things that they have there is like Ellen Degeneres has like a Diane Fossey um, museum there, and you learn about her work with gorillas, which is complicated. I think her relationship with the Rwandans wasn't always a great relationship because um, a lot of Rwandans survived off poaching gorillas, and that was just part of their their livelihood. Um, and rather than work with them, Diane Fossey kind of. Would terrorize them and scare them and even torture them allegedly. So her relationship with them was not great. But what it led to was other conserva- conservationists kind of coming in and working with the people. So one of the places that we went to was called the Gorilla Guardians um, Village. And so these are people who used to be gorilla, gorilla poachers. And now what they've done is they're working with conservationists and they're allowing people to come into their village and learn about their traditions and their way of life. And that's the way that they now live is through opening up their doors and sharing and using that as a way to make profit um, for their livelihood rather than poaching gorillas. So it's kind of the way that people work with conservation, but also for preserving traditions, and also allowing people to kind of come in and learning about their
0: traditions. Sure. Yeah. So one thing I've gotten from everything you've told us about going there, about traveling there, about experiencing the culture, is that your trip was different than many others, just through the fact that instead of sort of viewing it almost sort of from the outside, you were actually living with them, mm-hmm. right? Instead of just doing the touristy things and just kind of getting involved with the traditional things one might do there, you actually kind of got to live the life, Mm -hmm. almost, like upper Rwanda, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. And because of that, one question I'd like to ask you, and I know you've touched on this a little bit, but if you wouldn't mind going into slightly more detail, is the false perceptions that Americans have about Rwanda, specifically, or maybe that region of Africa kind of as a whole, um, because it may obviously be grouped in, because it's obviously not a very famous spot to vacation. So what would you say are, as I said, are a couple specific things that Americans kind of get wrong about Rwanda.
1: So again, I think people think of it as like a third world country that's not developed, right? And I I don't want people to misunderstand. Not everybody living there lives an easy and secure life like we are used to. There are certainly some class divides there. There are certainly people who have money and are very well off and comfortable, and then there are people who are literally you know grinding it out every single day Um, like one of the things that we saw was we would be driving down the street and there'd be like 60 Rwandans just kind of hanging out and our friend told us they're all mechanics they're just waiting for somebody's car to break down so that they can fix it and I said they literally stand around all day just waiting for yes so some of them really that's what their lives are like always trying to find a way to make some money um, so our friend specifically, he um, he he supported his family as a Rwandan soccer player. Mm-hmm. Now that he's come here, he um, he is he works for Amazon. He he coaches soccer too, but, but that's not like a full time job. Sure. Um He he is driving a semi truck, and all of that is to support his family back home. He supports everyone in his family. Um, sure. So the the class divides are clear. So even though, you know, people have cell phones and people have homes, people have running water, there still are some some clear class divides and issues in terms of, like, who has money and who doesn't and who's living comfortably and who's not. I mean, there were some huge, like, mansions and uh, compounds that people who clearly had money were living it and then there are people in the village who are living in just much smaller homes or situations and having to you know try to find ways to make money in any way that they can so the way that the people are constantly like working and hustling and and, and as a means just to like keep their head above water um, is not something that I want to gloss over because that very much is the reality of the situation Um, but do they need different outside European or American countries to come in and save them and help them? No. That's that's not the situation, right? Like, they are a fully functioning so, society.
0: Yeah, so going off of that, so do you think this trip uh, for you and your kids was you know you say it's a vacation but it seems like it was also an educational experience mm-hmm. like you know we they don't really I mean they teach about the genocide in Rwanda but they don't teach just about all these other great things that you said happened on the trip. so mm-hmm. how do you think this changed your kids perspective now going to another country because I don't know if they've ever been to another country mm-hmm. period mm-hmm. especially in Africa like that's a huge change yeah it's not just Canada or Mexico mm-hmm. or France it's
1: halfway yeah, across he, the world. Another thing that we did was um, our friend took us to a New Year's concert. It was like the East African wow. New Year's concert. So it was all different artists who are um, East African um, and they were incredible. So a lot of, some of it was in English, some of it was not. Um, it's in Kenyan or London which is their, their language. Um, but it was, my kids were still vibing, my kids were still having a good time, we were still having fun, right? Like, music is universal, fun is universal, joy is universal. So, um, those were the experiences that I hope they will carry with them. Now, surprisingly, like, the safari was the one thing that I thought that they would think was really, really cool and interesting. That is the one thing I don't think they fully grasped, because we saw, like, giraffes and zebras and hippos and, like, Elephants and all these amazing uh, uh, animals, like in their natural habitat. And I thought it was the most amazing thing that I'd ever seen. And they were like, "Seeing them at the zoo, yeah. like you know." Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think year old would. Right. I think one day when they grow up and look back, they'll appreciate that. But one of the things that I thought would be they would really appreciate, um, they were kind of not impressed with. But they like I asked them each what their favorite memory was, and our son Finn, who's almost five said he just loved making new friends and just being with the Rwandan people. Blair said she really loved going to the Gorilla um, Village and um, they let us like participate in some of the music and drumming and dancing and she really enjoyed that aspect. Uh, My husband said he really enjoyed um, seeing our friend Kadega in his element where he's from with his friends and family and my favorite part was um, the terrain of Rwanda is really diverse. So where we stayed was very much urban in the city. Then when you go to the safari, it's very much like uh, Sahara. Um, And then when you go to the volcanoes, it's very like rocky and mountainous. So like in such a small country, because if you look at the map of Africa, Rwanda is so small you might miss it. It's so tiny. Um, But in such a small country, where you can get from end to end in like three or four hours, there's such vastly different terrain, which I thought was so incredible and cool, because when you live in the Midwest like we do, It's all the same. flat land, um, it was kind of cool to be in a country that was so diverse in terms of the terrain and just how interesting it was to look out the window as you drive around.
0: That's great. Um, You said your kids are five and seven, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you think that like taking them here at that to taking them to Rwanda at, at that age would like would it stick with them or would it be better off to them when they were like they're like 15 and 17
1: mm-hmm. um I hope that we continue to travel so I hope that like this my daughter already said like oh well since we went there now we can go to Australia and New Zealand
2: yeah.
1: um so I hope that like even if they don't remember the experience like you know you know, memory by memory, they'll still carry sort of the lessons and the experience with them. Uh, I mean I made them picture books, then I made a video slideshow so that they can reflect and look back. I think Blair will definitely remember. We'll see how much Finn carries with him, but he said something that was funny. He went to school and I was like, Did you tell everybody about the trip? He was like, Yes, mom, but what people don't realize is even though I look American on the outside, I'm Rwandan on the inside. So I think he's already sort of, you know um, I appreciate the passion. Yes, mm-hmm. internalize the experience.
0: And did um, did your husband's friend come back with you, or did he want to stay a little bit so longer? He,
1: so he he's there a total of two months. So he was okay. there a couple weeks before we got there, and then he'll be staying until February ninth. So he'll come back on the ninth. He'll resume his job as a semi truck driver and he will continue to be coaching. He wants to eventually work his way up to being a professional coach. Oh, nice. Um, so he's working on that. But he also took us to the place where he trained. So the training facility when he was on the Rwandan national team. And first of all, the guy's like a celebrity there. So everybody knows I was
0: going to ask that. Like, is he? Yes. Yeah.
1: Everybody knew Kodega, Oh, yeah. We know Kadega. Everybody knew him. Even when we were driving down the street, people would be waving to him. It was really kind of cool to see. Um, But he took us to the training facility and there was a group of kids that were about my kids age that were training because that's how young they train them now. Um, And they let my kids play and train with them during their training practice. So my kids play soccer anyway, so it was really cool they got to play soccer um, with a bunch of Rwandan kids and they couldn't really communicate all that well in terms of language, but again, some things are universal. They all knew the game of soccer, they called football, and they all played together and it was really kind of a cool experience to see them do that.
0: I just think that's so crazy how, like, you can go to a completely different country and still feel at home just because there's a community there that can make you feel at home. And, you know, I think, you already kind of talked about this a little, I think if you were just going as a tourist, that sense of community maybe wouldn't have been there as much. Mm-hmm. But because you were there with someone who's 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 from there, who, that that is his home, I think you kind of, I think it made it easier for you to feel like it was your your home because we're with someone who like knew the place so well and I think that's like that's something you can't really get from being a tourist. Yeah you got you got a sense of community more than just a sense of exploration and like I was kind of thinking about this a little bit like when you go to another country like you can go on a vacation or you can go on a trip and I think I think a vacation is where you're like focusing on yourself, focusing on relaxation and focusing on just you know having a good time and it's more about like leisure
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then a trip is when you're really going somewhere where you feel like you're getting an experience and you're really like learning what the world is like because a trip is not about leisure it's about like exploration and I think that's kind of the difference and the words can be used interchangeably I think there's something to a trip that just makes it more of a learning experience than just a vacation and I just think it's great that your whole family was able to experience that including your kids so
1: and I think too like that I guess is the lesson I, like I said it really was out of my comfort zone just because I had never been somewhere so far or so um, culturally different and so I really had to push myself I think to do it right like to take to that piece of faith I am an anxious person. I get a lot of anxiety, Mm -hmm. Um, and so I I tend to stay in my comfort zone a lot. So, but the benefit of doing this far exceeds any any anxiety that I would have had. And I said, I think too, like like you're saying, Jack, it's a lesson in expanding our circles, right? Trying to expand our circles to get to know people who are outside of our cultural experiences, who are outside of. You know what we experience all the time in our circle of friends, um, and so inviting those people in, and then then those are the types of experiences you can have. But even when we went to Ireland for our honeymoon, a lot of people do like Dublin, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we wanted to do um, the, the we, we wanted to do the other parts of of Ireland that a lot of people don't go because we wanted to rent a car and just drive and sit in restaurants and pubs and get to know the people. And we did do some of the touristy stuff, but those were some of the best times mm-hmm. we had just getting to know people who were truly from there and just like hanging out at a spot. <laughs> yeah. um,
0: I want to ask a concluding question, okay. and this is one that I personally wanted to. How was the food?
1: The food, so amazingly, our friend hired these two women, and they came to the condo that we were staying in and cooked for us every day. So, I mean, as a mom and a wife, and the person who has a full-time job to have two people cooking for me every day was, like, yeah. a new country. Um But the food was delicious. There was a lot of rice, a lot of fish, a lot of chicken. Um, they made fried plantains for us. They made these, like, little donut things that were delicious. Um, they one day made goat for us, um, which was surprisingly tasty. And my kids enjoyed it, too. Um, so it was, yeah, a lot of that kind of stuff. It was all fresh. That was pretty healthy. And delicious, yes. Yes, we, it was very, very healthy and just fresh and like no preservatives or anything like oh. that. So, yeah, we were eating very well while we were
0: there. That's a great. Well, one thing I guess we could get out of this is the fact that in life, your time is limited. So I think it's a great thing that you were able to not only experience this in general, but that you are able to get your kids to experience this early on in life, because I believe what this will allow them to do is feel more comfortable later on in life going to different places, getting out of their comfort zone, and doing different things that will allow them to have a higher quality life overall, you know, regardless of if, if they didn't want to, regardless us if they would have known it or not, and I think what that kind of shows is that it's good for people to get outside of their comfort zone, it's good for people to kind of go places that they're not used to, and it's good to be adventurous, because if you're inside your entire life, you're never going to be able to truly really live, and with that being said, I believe this has been a wonderful interview it's such a good interview, because... It's like, I think it's just so interesting to hear about other parts of the world where we're trapped in a bubble so often. It feels like we're trapped in a bubble. We don't really get out of that bubble, especially from that uh, 2020 to 2020. the genocide that took place, you kind of got to see the other side of the country and the
2: community and the culture and...